Welcome to Great Loop Radio, brought to you by America's Great Loop Cruisers Association. We're dedicated to sharing Great Loop information and inspiration with those actively cruising, planning for, or dreaming about a Great Loop adventure. This is Kim Russo. I'm the director of AGLCA. Today, my guest is Ed Tillett of Waterway Guide, and Ed and I will be discussing the recent developments in Georgia, where a new law is prohibiting anchoring in some cases, and uh, really kind of the strongest law we've seen yet that can make it a little bit more challenging for cruisers to anchor. So we're going to talk about the, the law itself and where things stand with its implementation. Before I introduce Ed officially, I do want to take a moment to recognize and thank our Admiral sponsors who support AGLCA at the highest level. They are Beneteau, Curtis Stokes & Associates, Dog River Marina, Passage Maker Trawler Fest, Skipper Bob Publications, and Waterway Guide Media. As always, we encourage all of our listeners to support these businesses that support the Great Loop. And speaking of those Admiral sponsors, Ed Tillett is with Waterway Guide Media, and he is joining me today to talk about Georgia. Ed, thank you for joining me. It's a pleasure. As always, Kim, thanks for having us on board. Yeah, and I'm, one of the reasons I asked you to be the guest today is because we've been working s together on this, um, a little bit behind the scenes, but working with a few other groups to try and figure out how to get this law implemented with its least effect on boaters or how it can possibly be changed in the next session. But to start from the beginning, for those who haven't heard about it yet, let's talk a little bit about the law itself and what's in it. Do you want to start there? Sure. I guess the summation, uh, and you can correct me if, if I miss something here, but uh, this House Bill 201 that was passed by the latest session of the Georgia legislature and then signed into law in May has about three or four components on it that uh, long-range cruisers, extended cruisers, uh, weekenders, boaters who spend time on their boats uh, are looking at and going, hmm, that's, that's interesting. One of them, uh, right off the bat, is that Georgia is proposing that they uh, implement a permit uh, for anchoring, which means that if you anchor one day or one week or any long-term anchoring beyond that, you must purchase a permit, pay money to drop an anchor anywhere in Georgia coastal waters. So that's the first that we've ever heard anywhere in the country uh, where uh, a permit would be required and you would have to pay a fee. The second component of it is um, uh, that kind of gave a pause to cause, uh, cause to pause for some folks, is that under this House Bill 201, Georgia would, uh, the Department of Natural Resources, would go throughout the state and designate anchorages and say, this is where you can anchor. Um, most of those in the cruising community, including NMMA and Boat US and Waterway Guide, AGLC, all of us said, no, you've got that backwards. Don't designate where you can anchor. Tell us where we shouldn't anchor shellfish beds and other locations that may be sensitive or that there's a reason why we should not anchor there. So permit number one, pay. Number two, don't designate anchor. Just designate where we can't anchor for all the reasons that, that are stated. And the third was a record keeping by vessels for when you pumped out your holding tanks. Uh, this bill has a provision in it that requires you as a boat owner to keep a, uh, a record, a log of when you pumped out and where, and also marina owner operators would keep a log of where and when you pumped out. So those seem to be the three big ones. Is that your recollection, Kim? Is that is that all yeah. of them or is there another one? Those are the three big ones, but I would add to the pump out issue. Um, 
where we've we've heard some members a little bit up in arms about it is that it also makes the entire uh, coastline of Georgia, all of the the coastal waterways, a no discharge zone for so people for people who have um, you know installed some of the different heads that can actually um, you can uh, discharge, but it's been purified and cleaned. That is no longer allowed. So th that is kind of an issue for people who. Um, the whole state became a, a, a no discharge zone. Okay, um, so the so the N NDZ was part of this measure as well. Now I would like to know, and perhaps somebody can fill us in who hears this podcast and send you or me an email. Does an NDZ also include gray water? May I wash my dishes and may I take a shower and have my sump put my water overboard in an NDZ? I think that's that's not allowed in in a no discharge zone. Am I that's correct? A that's a great question, and I'm not sure the answer to that. So we'll have to we'll have to find that out and, and put that information out there. But that is a great question. Um, okay, so those were the, those are the top three that's included in the law, as I recognize that that has most boaters who are serious long range cruisers, extended cruisers, and any weekender who wants to drop an anchor with the kids on their, you know, come down from Atlanta and uh, jump on the 37 footer and take it out and anchor in a creek somewhere for a couple of days overnight weekend and, and take the kids around and have a good time should take pause with this as well because they're going to be forced to get a permit uh, and they will be under scrutiny oh oh here was the other one uh georgia uh this was i think one of the biggest ones is that all of these regulations would now roll up under georgia code 52 chapter 7 which would make these criminal offenses, not civil offenses, which means that if you are in violation of any of those, not getting a permit, not holding a pump out uh, log, uh, perhaps anchoring in the wrong place, that you would be uh, susceptible to a criminal offense, much like a misdemeanor, which is the same as a, a, a traffic ticket, but in the past it was a civil penalty. So it made them criminal offenses. Right. And I think from what DNR has put out there, that was mostly for a, you know, ease of issuing citations type reason. Um, you know, I don't want anyone to, to walk away from this with the idea that this criminal penalty carries jail time or anything along that circumstance. Like Ed said, it's, it's you know, kind of equivalent to a traffic ticket. But yes, it does make it a criminal offense. And I think one of the one of the things that has been interesting about this particular law is it seems to have caught everyone by surprise. Um, as most of our listeners know, we follow these issues in Florida because they tend to come up a lot more more often. This really wasn't on anyone's radar until after it was signed by the governor and DNR moved to implement what had become law. Um, and that goes for some of the large boating organizations out there, um, you know, the Boat USs, the NMMAs. Um, certainly AGLCA was not aware of it, SSCA, MTOA, I can throw out letters all day long, but um, this really took the industry as a whole by surprise, uh, which I think is, is part of, of why it's been a little bit of a head scratcher for some. And there are still a lot of questions about really how this came about and why. Um, the reasons that are kind of been floating around out there are to make sure that the waterways are clean which of course we would support, and to help deal with the issue of derelict and abandoned and unattended vessels, which we would also support. The question marks really come with, uh, you know, does this law really help with those issues? Um, I don't know if you have any thoughts on that area, Ed. Well, I do, and let's go back to the criminal offense um, as opposed to a civil offense. 
DNR, uh, whether it's in Georgia or whether it's Department of Game and Fisheries in Virginia, where I live, or Florida Fish and Wildlife Commission um, in Florida, uh, have increasingly been looking for some ways to put teeth in their enforcement. Um, scoff laws, ne'er-do-wells, abandoned vessels, we see them, we know they're out there. How much of a problem is it? Well, I guess it depends on where you live and how you perceive the problem. Uh, I live on off the Chesapeake Bay on the Rappahannock River. Uh, I keep my boat on Urbana Creek at the town marina. I sit on my boat and I look out the, the aft deck uh, curtain and I see two abandoned derelict vessels in Little Urbana Creek. One of them is washed up on the marsh. The other one is sitting on anchor and I've watched the wind come up the creek and move that boat and have it uh, drag anchor uh, and bounce off of another boat. Um, I would love to know what to do about that. But in Virginia, uh, the only way you can do anything about that is wait for that vessel to blow ashore. The landowner can claim that vessel in a certain number of days, public, uh, post a public uh, notice and say, I'm going to take it. And then he has to figure out how to get rid of it. Mm -hmm. So the reason why <clears throat> I believe, and this is what Doug Hamans, the executive director of uh, the Coastal Management Division of DNR, who ran that meeting we were at, says is that we need some teeth in the law. We need to create a way uh, when, when we define a vessel as derelict, we need to create a way uh, to really hold that owner responsible and accountable. And if we do enough civil penalties on it, nothing happens. If we go criminal penalties, we can do something with it. So I think that's another reason why this law was uh, put into effect at House Bill. But you can still do that without cr creating permits uh, and creating um, all of these other standards that this HB 201 has directed the Department of Natural Resources to arrive at regulations for. So I think it came about because there's some frustration among Georgia residents, some Georgia residents, frustration about those issues, and they're looking for ways to, to solve it. So that's how it came about. And um, quite frankly, they, they, Built a big one. <laughs> they got a, yes, got they a did. <laughs> yeah, and, and one other thing I, I do want to point out: um, the background seems to be that the bill initially took the permit fees and put them into a fund to help fund the removal of derelict vessels, which does make some sense. Um, however, on the House floor, as the bill was being passed, that was changed. And my understanding is that, uh, per Georgia statutes or, or rules, that it could not go directly into that fund. It had to go into the general fund. And that's part of what boaters are a bit up in arms about is that if it comes down to they have to pay these permit fees, that money should go back in some way to help the boating community and removal of derelict vessels would make perfect sense. But um, the, the legal process being what it is, that was removed at some point during the plan. So if you put that back into place, um, it makes a little bit more sense. One of the things I kept keep hearing is that, well, this law does nothing to help remove derelict vessels. And Ed, you're right, Doug shared with me too, that it does give the law enforcement some teeth to help deal with the issue. Um, the funding was uh, intended to be part of it. And, and unfortunately that was removed. But after this all broke and, and DNR put out a notice that they were looking for public comments on how they should go about implementing what they were handed by the legislature, um, Ed, you in, uh, in representing Waterway Guide and um, AGLCA, and of course we're part of a coalition with Seven Seas Cruising Association, 
Marine Trawler Owner Association and Defever Cruisers. Uh, we've been working in Florida for quite some time on these issues. So uh, we got together with Waterway Guide with the Georgia Marine Business Association, um, who actually had probably the most background information on this bill and how it came to be, um, and a few others to try and come up with some reasonable comments on how DNR should go about implementing the law that had been passed. Um, so it was kind of an interesting process. I was really pleased that we were able to reach a consensus and all submit very similar comments, particularly because I think kind of early on in social media, uh, the Georgia Marine Business Association, or GAMBA, was vilified a little bit uh, for coming out in support of the bill. Um, but in the end, they really have the same issues on behalf of their members as we do. Um, so it was it was nice to work with them and reach a consensus. Um, essentially, we came up with some recommendations that are far from perfect, but help with the implementation so that it has the least effect on boaters um, or the true cruisers and still has some of the teeth that DNR was looking for. So Ed, do you want to kind of walk us through what our group recommended? Thank you. Yes, indeed. Um, first and foremost, I think uh, the Georgia Marine Business Association um, and, and the group there um, had been watching this and paying attention and had been uh, participating as much as they could along the way. And it, we were fortunate to have someone on the inside who represents marine business associations uh, or, you know, members of the Marine Business Association. And we have lots of marina clients down there. They're all members of that. They get it. Um, and uh, they came back and agreed with some of the, the concepts that, that we put together. And again, this goes back to users. How will this impact users? Uh, anyone listening to this podcast is probably on a boat or thinking about getting on a boat and spending some time on it. So we took that into consideration when we developed these recommendations. So when we went to the DNR meeting on Monday, the 17th of June, we essentially presented the following. If you are going to, if Georgia, you are going to require a permit for boaters, a paid permit, we say, okay, if you have to do that, that's fine. But give us 60 days in the state as a boater, whether I came out of Atlanta uh, with the kids and spent a weekend on the boat or came out of Augusta or came in from North Carolina because my boat is in Georgia or I'm passing through on my way to Florida or on my way back north, give me 60 days in the state and don't require a permit. Um, if I decide that I'm going to anchor for between 61 and 180 days, all right, I'll pay a permit for that. I'm in the state. You're going to have, you're going to take that money and those resources and you want to manage the resource. Okay. But I will not have to buy uh, a permit if I'm 60 days or under. Now I can't stay more than six months in any one location, any one location. See, once again, DNR in Georgia has said, we have a problem with liveaboards who anchor a boat and never leave it. And we think they're dumping waste in the water, they're causing a nuisance, they're a pain to be around, their boats are dirty, on and on and on. Okay, but fine. We recommend that you can't anchor in one place for more than six months. I don't think that violates any of the feelings of any of the members of MTOA, SSCA, AGLCA, and as a fair and reasonable boater, Personally, I think that's fine, too. And then here's another issue. Some boaters will anchor their vessel and get off of it and leave it for two or three or four or five weeks or longer. And even if you 
anchored for 60 days without a permit, but you left your boat anchored out in a, in a waterway somewhere and got on an airplane and flew home, you're putting other vessels at risk in addition to your own vessel, in addition to landowners, dock owners, et cetera. So we said, fine, we're with you, but don't leave your boat unattended for more than seven days. And when we say unattended, we can define that later, talk about who's going to pay attention to it, who's going to watch it, and so forth. Um, and then instead, we talked earlier about this, don't, don't tell me where I can't anchor. Don't tell me where I can't anchor. Tell me where I can't anchor. So we would say anchoring is allowed in all coastal waterways, except for the shellfish beds, navigation channels, that's standard practice anyhow, Coast Guard regs. And then we did offer, we as a coalition, did offer up this 150 feet uh, setback. It seems to work in Florida. It seems to give property owners, uh, specific marinas and others, some comfort to know that vessels can't pull within 30 or 40 feet and drop an anchor. However, there is some pushback by some of our membership uh, that 150 feet is not a good number in Georgia. So we're going to let that we're going to let that kind of percolate out and see where that goes because the tides in Georgia uh, can end up moving the vessel here and there. So is that a summation pretty much of what we came up with, Kim? Yeah, I think that's a great summation. Um, you know, since we put that out, we have gotten some feedback from members. And, and yes, the 150 feet number is at issue. Um, one of the interesting things that uh, we've mentioned kind of um, – this meeting that both Ed and I were in attendance at on Monday. And at that meeting, DNR really did kind of agree to our premise that please tell us where we can't anchor as opposed to telling us little pockets where we can. Um, they seem to be on board with that. They are still kind of working through if there's a setback where we're recommending 150 feet. They're working through what that number should be. And there have been numbers all the way up to 1,000 feet tossed out. I think they recognize that that's far too much. Um, but yes, there have been some questions already that if there is a number, whatever that number may be, put into place, it's a little bit different in Georgia than Florida because uh, the, the tide swing is so much greater. Um, there's questions about, are we talking 150 feet from the anchor, 150 feet from the boat itself? Um, you know, if we're talking about 150 feet from the shoreline in some place, is that the shoreline at low tide or the shoreline at high tide? Because in Georgia, there is a big difference for that. So we do realize lots of questions surrounding this that would need to be worked out. Um, but it does seem a workable solution, uh, along with the no permit needed for 60 days. It still gives law enforcement the teeth they're looking for. It gives the homeowners and others uh, some setback if, if, if the 150 feet is the number where they won't have boats right up against their dock. And, you know, again, we don't like to see regulations that essentially cause hassle and punishment for the responsible cruisers. Because the theme we heard at this meeting recurring was that so many boaters are responsible and wouldn't even think about anchoring within 150 feet of someone's dock. And of course, they're not pumping their black water overboard. And, if, you know, these rules sadly are needed because of the few. So we're encouraging right. the NR exactly to, right. you know, really cast, uh, they're casting a very wide net and we understand why that's the easiest thing to do. Um, but we're really encouraging them to scale that back some. And Ed talked a lot about the permits. One idea that was floated to me was the idea that perhaps there wouldn't be a fee, 
but the permit would still be needed. We're really not even quite in favor of that either because there's just an undue burden on someone who's just trying to anchor for a few days or perhaps overnight as they're cruising through the state. Um, and all of, you know, some of the reasons that's an undue burden are in our comments, which are readily available online. I've also been asked by a few why we didn't address the pump out issue in our comments. Pretty simple answer to that. DNR put out information on the rules that they were looking for comments um, specifically to those rules. They didn't touch the pump out issue in those rules on this round. And I think that's partly because the law is very specific about it. So DNR didn't have much to figure out on implementation. It's pretty black and white there. Um, but we're still hoping that something can be done about that pump out issue. But we chose to focus our comments specifically on what DNR was questioning at the time. So I think more to come on, on the pump outs. Um, I think this is probably a good time to take a quick break to play a message from one of our sponsors. When we come back, Ed, I'd like to get into specifics on that meeting on Monday, because I think a lot of, a lot of good happened there. And I'd love to share that with our listeners. So we'll be back in a moment. Curtis Stokes & Associates is a yacht brokerage company that specializes in Great Loop capable boats. Curtis Stokes is a supporter of AGLCA at the Admiral level. If you're looking to buy or sell a Great Loop veteran from a trusted and knowledgeable broker, visit the company on the web at curtisstokes.net, email curtisstokes at curtisstokes.net, or call 954-684-0218. We're back on Great Loop Radio. I am talking today with Ed Tillett of Waterway Guide Media, and we are discussing the new law in Georgia that will have an impact pretty much on all boaters cruising through the state because it's the water line there that the, the uh, ICW is uh, too long for most boaters to do in one day. So usually an overnight stay is required. Um, and if that means anchoring for you, this new law would apply. So, Ed, you and I were both in attendance, along with roughly 70 other people, at a public hearing on Monday in Brunswick, Georgia, that DNR scheduled to try and gather some more information from the public on how they should implement this new law. So give us a recap of that meeting on Monday. Well, the meeting was, uh, it was well attended. Um, I counted um, somewhere between... 55 and 70 attendees. Uh, I think some folks slipped out the back door. There could have been some uh, DNR personnel. Uh, we were at uh, Coastal Resource Management Headquarters in Brunswick. Um, nice facility, nice little meeting room. Um, it was cool, comfortable. Everyone had a place to sit. Uh, Doug Hamans, who is the director of the Coastal uh, Resource Management Division of DNR, opened the meeting with about a 20-minute overview of the background uh, of the regulation. Um, for those of us who had prepared going into it, he didn't provide a lot of information that we didn't already know, but some other folks perhaps did not. He did try to uh, cover down on why the regulations were put into effect. One thing that I heard, one topic that he covered there, was the um, uh, growing aquaculture industry of Georgia. Uh, that Georgia is being looked at, you know, everyone's on on fire for oysters these days. So oysters are coming back, people are growing them, aquaculture, um, and apparently there's some uh, oyster farmers who are starting to kick off some shellfish beds in, in Georgia and for the future. And he did say, we're trying to get in front of this issue by, by initiating these. So he presented a 20 minute overview and then opened it up for comments. 
Uh, and it was at that point that uh, I think about 25 people spoke, including uh, AGLCA representing several organizations, um, Waterway Guide spoke, National Marine Manufacturers Association, Boat US. I was uh, I was uh, really uh, intrigued, for lack of a better term, at the uh, straight ahead, and it's in our article uh, in our newsletter from from yesterday at Waterway Guide, uh, how strong of a position the National Marine Manufacturers Association took. Boat US also took a strong position uh, and essentially said, as did Waterway Guide, that we don't believe in any uh, anchoring restrictions anywhere in the United States coastal waters. We have enough laws on the books, et cetera. So we, we made those um, points. I made a specific point uh, after having thought about this like you did, Kim, for hours before we got there. How do we present? What's the environment going to be like? Uh, we were certainly among friends because most of the people there were boaters and lived on boats and spend time on boats and whatnot. But our position was, give us the empirical, my position, waterway guys, give us the empirical data that says you have a problem in Georgia. Give us the data. How many derelict vessels do you have that are causing problems? How much water quality issues do you have in Georgia that you can attribute to boaters, uh, marina owner operators, liveaboards pumping raw sewage into the water if in fact they are? Give us data on, on uh, why you need permits and, and people to pay to anchor in the state. And then perhaps we can talk through this, but simply pass far-reaching legislation uh, that is an impediment uh, to what we have traditionally enjoyed as uh, boating privileges. In America's waterways, Georgia is one state uh, among many that share the intracoastal waterway. Give us the facts and we can deal with it, but you haven't given us the facts. So that was basically it. And the rest of the speakers came up and gave any number of personal experiences uh, about being in Georgia. Some of them were from Georgia, some were passing through, uh, but almost to the speaker, they said, where's the problem? What are you trying to solve? And you're really making a mistake here because mm -hmm. you're you're trying to paint a big broad brush stroke on a lot of law-abiding citizens that do the right thing anyhow. We live in the water, we're on the water, we are environmentally sound and conscious, and we take a great deal of pride in, the, in our waterways, and we spend more time there than most of the rest of you. Where's the problem? Exactly. That was basically it. Yeah, and that's such an important point, Ed, and, and you spoke pretty early on and, and mentioned that to uh, thunderous applause, I might add, but that specific opinion was shared by just about all of the individual boaters in the room who spoke um, and really just don't see that problem out there in Georgia. So I think DNR came away from that meeting pretty loud and clear that some some information is needed. Um, you know, the public is really looking for what is the problem? Does the problem really exist to that level in Georgia that we need additional laws and regulations surrounding it? And and the, the point also came up repeatedly, there already are laws and regulations that could take care of this problem if they were properly enforced. Um, so that was that was kind of the, the recurring theme for most of the speakers. The other thing I want to point out from the meeting um, is that I did mention earlier that DNR was uh, expressed to Doug Hamans in his presentation that he was on board with the idea of uh, setting the anchoring zones, so to speak, as all of the coastal waters with limited exceptions. One exception he threw in there, though, that was not in our original comments was to apply the setbacks to residences. And that was a little bit concerning to me. Um, and I know that will be concerning to some of our members because that changes the scope of the setbacks pretty dramatically. And I did 
uh, email Doug the next day and, and kind of questioned that a little bit. And, and where was he going with those, the residences? Is he talking about residential residences with docks or any waterfront residents? Um, and he wasn't quite sure yet. So um, more to come on that. And we're certainly looking for feedback from our members on their thoughts about that. And we do have members who are waterfront homeowners who, you know, we have to realize that while the vast majority of our members wouldn't even consider anchoring within 150 feet of a private dock, because um, it's just not a place you're going to want to be. Again, these laws sadly are being put into place to protect from the few who might do that. Um, so that's just a little bit of a twist on what we recommended that I didn't want to let go by unchallenged because that, that could put a different wrinkle in these setbacks. So we're kind of waiting to see where that comes out. Um, Ed, anything else to add about Monday's meeting? No, I think that pretty much did it. It was a three-hour meeting. Um, it was, again, well-attended, well-managed, uh, and I think that, that everyone recognized following all of the comments um, that there is more work to be done and all we can hope for and push for, of course, hope is not a plan, but what we, what we can push <laughs> for is that, uh, that Georgia DNR will in fact listen to the voices that were in that meeting and to the comments that are coming in, which is a, a I guess a, a, a great segue at this point, Doug made it very clear that comments are needed. He needs uh, written comments. He needs information in the office. He needs it on file. So we have encouraged, as have you in the forums, SSCA and AGLCA and other forums, please write a note. It doesn't have to be uh, 50 pages. You don't have to do a legal assessment. But if you would just send a letter, um, just like the old days, send a letter to your congressman or your senator. Send a letter to DNR and say, um, we have issues with this. This is how this will impact us, and we think this is not a very good idea. Uh, continue to look at this and come up with a fair and reasonable approach uh, and, and offer that up and send it to, I think it's Kelly Hill. You've got it listed, and we have it listed as well. So send a letter. That was his follow-up. Please give me the information. Uh, he's not the decision maker, but he has to assemble that information and take it back to his board. Wherever he may stand on it doesn't matter. He has a board that he answers to, and his higher uh, hierarchy and chain of command will come to terms. He can influence it, um, so make sure that you send your comments in. I heard that loud and clear at the meeting, too, at the end of it. Absolutely, and, and Doug mentioned that they had received 70 comments to date, which when you think about it, for how many voters there are and for how many members AGLCA and the other organizations have and for how many readers Waterway Guide has, 70 is a very small number. Now, he did say okay. that that was the third highest number of comments they had ever gotten on an issue in his tenure there. Um, so we're, we're being noticed, but 70 is not very many. So I do have the address and I know it's hard to give addresses uh, just with the audio, um, but this is actually a pretty simple email address. It, you need to send an email with your comments to kelly.hill at dnr.ga.gov. So it's pretty simple. Kelly, K-E-L-L-Y dot hill at dnr.ga.gov. Gov, and those need to be submitted by July 15th. What happens from there is that DNR will take this feedback they've collected as part of the process. They will revise the rules if they see fit based on those comments, and they have to submit to their board of natural resources their recommended rules. Um, I believe the date is August 27th. 
uh, Doug Hayman's during his presentation did indicate that there would be, because of the interest in this issue, a second public comment period, most likely in October. He was noncommittal as to whether that would be a written comment period only or if there would also be a second public hearing like we had on Monday. Um, but as I said, the voices are being heard. Um, Ed is correct. It does not have to be a long email. In fact, I've gotten uh, some advice from a former Georgia legislator that uh, the long ones don't tend to be read as extensively as one would hope that they would be um, simply because of the volume. So honestly, the numbers probably count a whole lot more than the level of detail in your comments. So we're really just suggesting you uh, send an email that says who you are, why you care, and what you're hoping DNR will do about it. And there's more information about that readily available um, through Waterway Guide if you're an AGLCA member in our forum. Uh, but uh, the recommendation coming out of the meeting from some of the voters was also, you know, send your comments, but encourage four voting friends to do so as well. So we hope that you'll do that. Um, one other thing that did come out of the meeting, Ed, that I, I think we should just probably touch on before we wrap up is that there were some um, former and current Georgia legislators in the room. Um, the gentleman who wrote and sponsored the bill was there and did agree to take a look at the options for correcting what some are seeing as issues with the bill. And there is a, a current legislator who's also an AGLCA member and has completed the loop um, that recognizes, because he's a, a boater, um, a long distance cruiser, he recognizes the issues here and has really, um, you know, agreed to, to kind of take up the cause and hope to get some of what's wrong with the bill corrected in the next session, which starts uh, in January. The next legislative session in Georgia starts in January. The law is slated to take effect as of now on January 1st. Um, so absent any additional legislative action, whatever DNR decides are the rules do need to take effect January 1st. We're hopeful that some kind of a delay can be put into place until some of these issues are, are being ironed out. But Ed, um, any additional thoughts on anything we haven't mentioned that perhaps is important to get out there publicly? Uh, just a couple of things. I, I, you know, we've, I think we've covered it. Um, the, the real point is, is that uh, your voice should be heard if you're listening to this podcast. Uh, and if you don't write letters to your senators and congressmen, if you're not one of those folks, take, take a few minutes on this one just to say, look, House Bill 201 uh, needs work. Uh, please consider what the voting organizations are recommending. Um, this is way out of line. Um, so this could be an embarrassment to Georgia if, if you want to go that far, but the rest of the states are looking at Georgia. Just write a short letter. Uh, you can find uh, the addresses and all the information you need if you just go to waterwayguide.com. Um, and once you're at our website, if you're not a member of the AGLCA forum, of course, you probably have this as well at the AGLCA website, but go to waterwayguide.com, go to our news repository, and just search for Georgia Anchoring, and you'll see two stories that we've written, and I have embedded in those stories links to the bill, to the history of the bill, to the Georgia Conservancy, to all the organizations that have supported it. Uh, I have embedded a link to uh, Don Hogan, uh, Representative Don Hogan, uh, who sponsored the bill. I have a link to his uh, official website. DNR is in there. You can find the board members of all, all board members of the Department of Natural Resources uh, in the DNR listing. If, if you want to write a letter to DNR and then write a letter to all the board members and roll it up, I'm thinking I may go ahead and get all their addresses and make that as a source as well. So this is, this is the time for our voice to be heard. Why is this important? And I'll conclude on this. Q 
Kim and I have been talking about this for years, uh, really, literally, two or three years. We've been speaking about Florida's laws, where is the United States going, what's next? And I talked with the publisher at Bonnier Publishing of Cruising World and some of the yachting magazines. And we believe that as goes Georgia, so go some other states in the future. So it's, uh, we think we have an opportunity now. Florida, you know, they're where they are. But as goes Georgia, so goes Rhode Island, question mark, Texas, Mississippi, Alabama. It goes on and on. So let's be aware we may have an opportunity to shape the policy now as a group of voters and get states lined up uh, to effectively create solutions to derelict and abandoned vessels, ne'er-do-wells who don't do the right thing on the water, because we all do, and, and get those states uh, lined up to do what needs to be done correctly. So I would ask, in conclusion, keep an eye on your home state. We missed HB 201 in Georgia <laughs> for any number of reasons. Let's not miss it in Texas, Alabama, Mississippi, Louisiana, North Carolina, Virginia, South Carolina, any other states. Let's not miss it. Keep an eye out for it and alert Kim and AGLCA, alert Waterway Guide, keep us posted, and then we can alert the others as well. So that's, that's, that's my concluding remarks on this one, Kim, and I really appreciate you having me on board this morning. And that's a great way to wrap it up. Um, Ed Tillett with Waterway Guide Media, thank you for joining me. Greatly appreciate you helping out with this and all of your efforts on the behalf of the boating community on this issue and, and anchoring in all, of, all other states, as you mentioned. And to our listeners, uh, thank you for joining us once again. We'll be back next week with another episode of Great Loop Radio. Until then, safe cruising. <laughs>